You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversations with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I've recently created a private community for us to continue these supportive and uplifting conversations. Click the Join the Art of Parenting Community Here button on this page and I will see you there. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Jessica Rolf. Uh, those of you who might be in the early stages of parenting, you probably have heard of the wonderful company, Lovery, and uh, she is the co-founder. So I am extremely excited to be talking with you, Jessica. Welcome. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be here. Wonderful. So I always like to get us started with a question, um, helping, well, asking you to define the art of parenting. Mm, it is an art, not a science. <laughs> <laughs> not a science. Nope. I mean, there's a little science in there, but yes. Yes. So how would you define that? Yeah, I would say that it's really about tuning in to what your child is hungry to learn and engage and experience at each stage of their life as they grow. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about mindfulness and meditation and being present to the life experiences that you're having right now in this moment. I would say there is no better tool for mindfulness than parenting because children just suck us in to that moment in time with them and at the stage that they're at right now. And so I would say that for for me, I found so much joy in experiencing the learning that my baby had as they grew and into young childhood and now into early elementary years. It feels like each stage has its just joy and its moments of challenges and that the child is really guiding us in what they are hungry to learn in these moments. And it seems like, you know, the baby years, the toddler years for me now feel fuzzy. Um, and, you know, and even if you have multiple children, it can be um, an experience to really just try and stay present in the moment. Mm, beautiful. So it's it's an art of being in the present moment, like our children really teach us to be. They they are in the present moment, right? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> that is the, the work that we do. Yes. Exactly, exactly. So before we get too involved in our conversation, I would love if you would share with our listeners a little bit about your background and how you came to do the work that you're doing today. Yeah, so my background, I actually co-founded an organic baby food company before co-founding Love Every and having a family um, of my own. So I first started Happy Family with my co-founder, and we set out to really improve tra the trajectory of children's health and wellness. And when we started, only 3% of all baby food was organic, and now Happy Family is the number one organic baby food brand in the country. And in that time, I had my three children, and I was so 
delighted to know what was happening with their body and their development and how I could nurture them through food and nurture their body's development through food. But I found myself wondering what was happening with their developing brain. And I had all these plastic cluttery flashing lights toys around. Not a mon- I did not have the Montessori approach. I wasn't aware of Montessori when I f- had my first baby. And I remember watching him pull himself up on one of those plastic flashing lights, tabletop toys. And he pushed one button and all of a sudden like a purple cow is popping out and music is playing. And I found myself, and I found myself wondering, what is this toy doing for his developing brain? And how is this helping? And I love research. And so I discovered a doctoral thesis written on infant brain development that really changed everything for me as a parent. So I learned that 90% of the human brain by weight is developed by age five, that roughly half of who we become is our genetics and the other half is our environment. And Montessori talks so much about this purposeful environment. And then third, that there are a few, there are very simple things that you can do as a parent to tune into your child's hunger for learning. It doesn't have to be complex, but you do need to understand what development windows are opening and closing in their brain at each stage. So I had this vision to create Love Every, wanted to share this research with everyone. And I co-founded the company with my partner, Rod Morris, uh, five years ago. So We have a stage-based learning program. We offer play kits that are timed just right for your child's development. We base our products based on Montessori. And then we have a play guide for parents that has information and activity ideas and tools for parents so that they can make the most of their time with their children. Wonderful. Wonderful. And and how how um like how early does do your play kits start and how late into childhood do they go? Yeah, so we start at birth and then we go up to age four. So we cover the first, um, yes, yeah, so we cover the first four years of life now. I'm sorry, the first five years of life now, and then we'll be launching a new um, play kits uh, for four year olds soon. So, yeah, so I, you know, for us, I think so much of kind of the birth and the experience is very you know, Montessori based around being interested in mobiles, things that move organically. Um, high contrast images, like really developing the eyes in those early years, and then the play kits evolve from there. Hmm. And how, how, if if I may ask, how did you discover Montessori, and, and what does Montessori mean to you? I discovered Montessori when I was researching what were the best ways to help babies develop and help young children develop. And I think that you know from this research that I discovered, I sort of. Um, launched upon a lot of exploration around talking to occupational therapists and talking to speech therapists and child development experts. And then Montessori um, was so grounding. It was really a parent, you know, philosophy, a way of being with your child and a way of um, showing them the world. So I sent all my three children to Montessori school locally here in Boise. Um, We work with the teachers as experts at Love Every. And yeah, I just, I just, really kind of started discovering the the toys and the material, sorry, the materials and the products um, for, for parents and the information. It was just really valuable. Wonderful. Yeah. I don't know if you know, but that's, that's my whole background is Montessori and I kind of discovered it uh, later in life. So I wish I had um, done so before having children, right? I, I knew about it, but I didn't, I didn't apply it right away. And, and for me, it is such a beautiful 
uh, way of understanding human development and really being able to, like you say, nurture every stage that our children are going through. Yeah. One of the things that I found remarkable is that there's really not much access to Montessori in a school setting for families. It's only in seven, Montessori schools are only available in 7% of U.S. zip codes. So to be able to find a program and then find, usually the program start at age two and a half or three. So it's hard to find that early, those formative years, those early education access to the materials and the philosophy um, from the beginning. Our play kits are offered in over 50% of U.S. zip codes. So we, you know, we do work to democratize access to Montessori learning. For me, I was really craving knowing what were the right baby materials. How could I play with my baby in a Montessori way without sending them to a Montessori program outside of the home? So I think that that was that curiosity was what led us to develop the, some, a lot of the products at Love Every. Hmm, beautiful, beautiful. And just just know, I, I actually right before you had another interview with a woman who is actually opening a public Montessori in Georgia. So there is work in the Montessori community to to make it more and more available. Um, but it's true that it, it for me, I wish it was the, the way of educating, right, for everybody. Uh, but... Yeah, and I think it's it's definitely expanding, and I think that it's just it you know by nature of building a whole school, it's it's hard it's harder to build out infrastructure as opposed to being able to ship products and a Montessori philosophy by you know delivery to parents parents' homes. So yeah, right. And in your in your program, when you are um, delivering these toys, are you also giving some some background information to the parents so that they understand uh, you know what is going on in the baby's brain when we're when we're using some of these activities yeah so we include a play guide that talks about what's happening at each stage and how to support your child it's a physical guide it's kind of like a I mean a mini child development book but just for that couple of months of life and then we also have a of, of an app for parents where they have experts, including Montessori experts, going through activities and showing how to introduce the materials, how to play with the materials, and all sorts of content about how to Montessori your entryway or how to think about montessori your child's bedroom or how to transition to a floor bed. Um, if you've been you know, using a crib, how to kind of adopt the Montessori philosophy of a floor bed. So we really, um, you know, I think for, for me, being able to demystify what Montessori meant and make it practical and understandable in my home was a big question I had. So we really worked to provide those resources to families. Wonderful. And and I'm intrigued, were you, were you able to use floor beds with all three of your children? Well, that's a great question. I was not. I did not. Now, I feel like yeah, I feel like I could have, but I wasn't really aware. Um, there wasn't a, a support of you know how to do it, how to introduce from the beginning. We ended up using a crib and then passing that on to the next child and to the next child. Um, so we transitioned them to a floor, a bed on the floor when they were three, but it wasn't from birth. And I think that's such a curious concept around independence. I think there's so much to be gained from creating an environment that is really, that does inspire that independence from the start. Right, right. That inspires independence. And for me, it's also uh, a trust, right? A, a trust in, in ourselves and in our child that that they're going to figure out what this space is about, right? They're, they, yeah, they might 
you know, they might roll off, but I mean, it is just a mattress on the floor. So it's not from, you know, up high and they will figure out that, oh, it's, it is more comfortable to actually stay on the mattress. So, um, yeah, it's, for me, it's a beautiful concept. And, and I was asking because I did not either. And only, I think with my second, I did very early on, but I didn't really know of the concept until I did my, my training. So, um, Wonderful. And how were you, um, like if I, if I can just go into the, the parenting aspect of your, your experience, how differently are you raising your children than how you were raised? Mm, that's a great question. Let's see how I was raised was very much, uh, around around independence and some some resilience from my my parents perspective my parents were divorced early and i grew up with my grandmother and my grandfather and my mother in one home and then my father and my stepmother her two children and my disabled younger brother um who has been such a you know sort of important kind of glue to that sort of step sort of step half step half whole sisterhood uh brotherhood has been really helpful to have um that family unit so i so in terms of my upbringing it was a lot of moving back and forth needing to be independent packing my stuff every week to move to the other home um keeping track of my own schedules as a as a baby i you know there there wasn't this montessori um philosophy but i did go to a montessori preschool at the time in Minnesota. So I was raised, you know, from from three on in a Montessori program. And then with my own children, and I didn't really remember what that was like. My parents would say, oh yeah, you went to Montessori, but I didn't really know what that really meant in terms of my, you know, outcomes later in life or how I look at life. For my own children now, you know, I think so much of it is about really seeing them for what they're capable of doing doing, and also giving them that right-sized challenge. So I've noticed that I often overestimate my child's emotional understanding. So their maturity from an emotional level, I often think that they're supposed to be more mature. I expect them to be more mature emotionally. And then from a capabilities perspective, I think we have to really push against that bias um, of them not being quite as capable as they actually are. And so for 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 my upbringing, um, or for for my for raising my own children, I really work to push my own understanding of what are they capable of and what can they do next because they are evolving so fast. It's really hard for us adults to sometimes keep up. It is, it is, and and I love that you say, you know, how capable they are because I think we we underestimate our children's capability and and just I mean for me they're just highly highly intelligent beings very intuitive very uh you know mindful like there, there's just so many qualities that uh we don't always pay attention to with with young children at least and even and even I I would say teenagers I mean I think teenagers get a bad rap and they're they're delightful human beings yes it's so true Hmm. Um, and any misconceptions or um, that you have seen in your like in the work that you've been doing with these uh, play kids with parents kind of 
maybe, um, how would I say, how am I going to put this, kind of misconceptions around play, around the, the, the importance of play. Because for me, sometimes I feel like it gets um, a bit confused with what we say in Montessori, that the children is, is working, right? We like to use the word work because they are uh, mastering a new skill. They are working on, their, on themselves. And yet we, I think we, I feel like we put pressure on parents to be playing, to be, uh, quote unquote, entertaining their children. Uh, What would you say to that? Like, do you think that there is too much of this wanting to entertain our children and maybe not letting them be uh, enough? Yeah. I mean, this could be controversial, but I'm going to tell you what I've looked at from the from the neuroscience perspective. Okay. Okay. From 0 to, you know, 3, children's brains are growing so much and there's so much n- desire and crave craving of input and that's input from a language perspective, input from really understanding how the real world works, giving your child lots of novel experiences. We talk about bringing your baby on a house tour where you open and close cupboards and turn on and off the water and turn on and off light switches and talk to your baby, really narrate their world for them. That builds this foundation of neural connections that are really related to the world that they're growing up in, that are very relevant. And they're outcomes for children who get more of that verbal input, more of that engaged parent, frankly, are, are better. Um, than outcomes of children that don't get that sort of stimulation from from birth. And so I would say that it's always a balance. We certainly don't need to uh, provide our children with a bunch of toys all over the floor with, you know, a lot of, as I talked about, the toys that do all the heavy work for the child, like the flashing lights toys, the electronics, the screens, all of that is not actually building the child's independent capacity for learning. Those neural connections aren't forming on their, you know, in in a way that's really meaningful for their future. It's actually about really helping your child, stimulating them, giving them those next challenge experiences and engaging with them in meaningful real world ways that can build their capacity for their potential. So I would say that the sort of sit back and observe your child is helpful, especially when they're they're focusing and they're concentrating on something, but continuing to invest in giving them a, a very rich environment full of, again, this real life experiences and this verbal stimulation is really helpful. Hmm. And, and, and yes, I agree with you about the, the real life, because for me, it's about really incorporating them in what you're already doing right. They've they're they're observing us uh, from the time they they enter our homes, and they have just one task that they want to do what we're doing. And so for me, I, and I was asking that because I often have parents kind of you know not really complain, but but be frustrated because they're not able to get things done because their children want their attention, and I always say, well, bring them into your world. What are you doing? What can you give them uh, to do? So I, I really appreciate that, the, the idea of the real life experiences. Totally agreed. Yeah, that it's not only about, you know, sending them off to to play with some toys. You mentioned screens. What is your your take on 
today's world and children and screens and phones and iPads and all of that. How, how do you how do you navigate that? Yeah, that's really a hard question because I want to be empathetic to all the different situations that children are in and the parent the pressures that parents have. I will say from a kind of pure advocating for the child um, perspective and and speaking from what I've tried to do with my own children, you know, I think that that there are disadvantages to lots of screen time. And I think that we're in the beginning of, of research of understanding what the impact is for longer term on children's brains. But I think that that children are, because screens are so easy to be held in in a handheld device with an, with an iPad or with a phone, that children are getting exposed more and more to screens. So they're taking up those micro moments where you might be waiting for something, you might be engaging with them in the pediatrician's office or in the car or um, you know, in, in different environments, you might be talking to them or, or, or engaging with them, but now the screen is, is there. And so that's engaging with them a lot more. It's entertaining them a lot more and you're missing out on those opportunities. So there's this concept of displacement theory, which is that this, what I was just describing, that the screens are taking away from time where you can engage with your child one-on-one, which is the best way for them to learn. But then there's this, also this question of what is it happening to their their brains. And I think that um, lots of screen time, and that's defined as multiple hours a day, you know, have, have been finding that over a longer term period that there's a premature thinning of the, um, you know, of the, of the outermost layer of their brain, which is, the, you know, this, this uh, brain, this, this layer that is involved with this higher, higher order cognitive functions. It's the executive functioning part of the brain. And I think that it's impulse control and being able to um, you know, be be sort of a a well functioning um, <clears throat> child or adult is all kind of related to the building and the capacity of the brain over time. And if if they've got lots and lots of screen time, you know, the NIH studies have shown that 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 can actually affect the development of a child's of a child's brain. So I would I would align with the American Academy of Pediatrics recommendations of avoiding screen media for children under eighteen months, and you know that they. And really looking at it as a more of a break for you, as something to do, um, you know, that, that's entertaining for them, but not as a learning um, moment or not as something that um, is needed for their development for sure. But then also thinking about, you know, how can we maybe just have a few more of those connected moments throughout the day where you're giving that verbal interaction, you're asking your child a question, they're responding, you're having that quote serve and return, that conversation with your child, um, that back and forth that's so valuable for their development. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for that. And and I would, I mean, personally, I like I I think I'm stricter than the pediatric recommendations, just because we know that there's so much going on in that brain early on that I I feel you know especially what you're saying about uh, parts of the brain thinning, I, I feel like that would be a detriment to to their development. So, if at all possible, to really limit any. Uh, screen time in, in those early years, and and I think, unfortunately, it comes down to us, the 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 adults. It's just you know, it's just like what you were saying about creating an environment, right? It's like, well, do we choose to bring in a screen into their environment? Like we're still, we're still the ones um, creating that environment for them, so we have to make those decisions. 
Yeah, and I don't know that there's a lot of as many examples nowadays, but there are, you know, you you don't have to introduce a screen. I will say, even though the what you said, the Academy of Pediatrics says 18 months, but you don't need to introduce a screen. There's no, no yeah. need for that. And I think that over time, you know, my, we've, in, in my anecdote of, of my home, my children are 7, 10, and, and 12, and they really haven't had much, if any, access to to screens. And and so I'll just find them. They'll all be reading their books, you know, and it, it really, the books do entertain, games can entertain, you know, they, they do find over time ways to um, keep themselves occupied. It doesn't always have to be that a video game or a screen is, is the answer. So I will say a big exception that a lot of parents don't know about is that, you know, scientists have shared that video chats like FaceTime are very different from other types of screen media. And they're not harmful in the same way because again, you're getting that natural serve and return. So there's a lot of, we do a lot of, you know, video chatting in our home and my kids um, can call their grandparents, you know, on the iPad and they have great conversations. So um, I will say that that's an exception that I want families to know about. Yes, de- definitely. I mean, to me, that is a form of communication. And and I know, like, especially during the, the pandemic that we've just, you know, lived through, that was um, a savior to be able to chat with our families uh, through video. So, so yes, definitely. It's it's not at all the, the same thing. Um, wonderful. Any advice that you have for uh, grandparents? Because I'm, 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 you know, I'm sure that in your uh, demographic that of people that purchase uh, these kits, there are, I'm sure, a lot of grandparents who are wanting maybe to do things differently than how they parented their own children. Any, any words of advice there? Mm, that's such a great question. My, I just dropped my parents off at the airport. So we just had a lot of grandparent time. My mom is coming to visit soon. Um, so yeah, I think I would say that for sure, I mean, that we always say that the play kits are a great gift because you can really experience that joy of understanding what your child, what the, your grandchild is interested in learning at each stage. And the play guides are so helpful to kind of stay calibrated to that. It's very fun to, even if you're at a distance to watch children play with, with a lot of the play things. But I would say other advice for grandparents, you know, I think that if we're, if we're talking about, we were talking about video chatting before my, my mom will often get a, she gets a book series. She was reading Ivy and Bean to my daughter, or she read Frog and Toad, or we've kept certain books that are just special for grandma to read over the iPad to my children. Um, she'll even read, she read longer novels like, um, Winn-Dixie novel by Kate DiMichillo, or there's other longer novels. She's read longer novels to my my older children. I think they they love to be read to for such a long time. And I think we forget that. And so I think that keeping sort of special books where the parents don't have that same books um, or book series or sets in the home, keeping some special just for grandparents to read, um, to keep the child engaged. It's so sweet to see my kids asking you know, calling my mom over over video and asking for her to read another chapter of a, of a book that they're reading together. So um, that's w- one tip. Um, I would say that's, yeah, maybe my best for the moment. Mm. And I and I love that one. I had never uh, thought of that, right, of, of being able to use the technology to be there and, and read stories to your grandchildren. That's, that's beautiful. I, I love that tradition. Wonderful. Uh, wonderful. So you, you mentioned that you have uh, three children, that your eldest is 12. 
If you were to go back um, 13 years ago when you were expecting your eldest, any wise words that you would tell yourself knowing all that you know today? Mm, That's a great question. I think I would say just enjoy, just enjoy those precious moments with that baby and um, just love on them and be confident that you're making the right choices with your parenting. I think I I loved digging into the science and the research. And so I do had, did have so many joyful moments with my child, kind of discovering the world through his eyes. And I would say just like really being present to that because time goes, goes by, it does go by so fast. Mm, It does. It does. Any, as, as we wrap up any uh, parting words that you would like to leave our listeners with today? Yeah, I would just say that, you know, I think being really awake to the meaning in these early years can be so empowering for you. It can really help you feel connected to your child and give you confidence in your parenting. Um, Playtime is, you know, sleep is so hard. Sleep is so hard. Uh, You know, you think you've got it and then they wake up more and it's so exhausting. Feeding your child, whether it's breastfeeding or, you know, doing like, trying to figure out with your toddler how to keep them from, you know, sugar battles with with a birthday cake, uh, you know, at, at a friend's party or whatever the whatever the situation is. I think that play and learning can be such a place of joy. And so really leaning into that and understanding, you know, how you can help your child make you know, make the most of their um spe- make the most of your special time with them can be so valuable. And I would say that that's it's really worth it. Because this investment in the early years really pays off later. You know, I think that a lot of people think that that learning investment needs to start at kindergarten or first grade, or I need to make sure I get my child into the right, whether it's Montessori program or whatever program, it's the at home in the early years, the time that you do have with them when you're not working or you're able to have that one-on-one time where you can really engage. um, That is really building their capacities and their potential. So invest in those early years. It will pay off. Mm, beautiful. Thank you for that. It's It makes so much sense. And it's so true that that foundation is the most important one. So thank you. Thank you so much, Jessica, for taking the time to be here with me today and sharing all of your wisdom and passion. Thank you, Jean-Marie. It's been wonderful being with you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, Please make sure to share it with your loved ones and do come share your takeaways in our private Facebook community. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.